Welcome back to the Craft and Career podcast series, featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we explore various approaches to craft and career, and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Sharon Loudon, an artist, an educator, an advocate for artists. She's the editor of Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, a series of books. She's the artistic director of Chautauqua Visual Arts and Chautauqua Institution. And she graduated with a BFA from the School of Art Institute of Chicago, and an MFA from the Yale University School of Art. Her work has been exhibited in too many venues to list. We will put the link down below so you can see all the amazing things that she's done. Um, it includes both public and private collections. And as both artist and educator, writer and editor, Anyone that's ever worked with Sharon can tell you how massively generous a contributor she has been to all of the many communities that she's a part of. And we are so privileged to have her here today. Welcome Sharon to the Craft and Career Podcast. Thank you, I feel really humbled. I am I am just an artist and I'm, I'm just really grateful to be with other artists here together. And, and I can't thank Lisa enough because of her generosity. So, and, and you and Lori, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And yes, I should mention Lisa Crezzi's class is online with us today, and they'll be helping out with some questions, some Q&A as we move forward. So let's, let's get started. You know, we've got craft and career is what we call this podcast. And oftentimes it's just, it's talking about that intersection, which can be kind of a crazy intersection. It can look a lot different for different people coming from different perspectives. So let's define some terms. When I say craft, what does that mean to you? And I know within the arts, that can mean a whole lot of things. So what does it mean to you? Oh, I, I first feel things in my fingers. I don't know if you all artists are, are, are imagining that right now, but I feel I wanna touch things. But I think craft, it traditionally means making, of making of something. But I do think that artists are much more than just the making of, of things. And the reason why I, I, I just can feel this in the, my bones, and I also just from the many, many, many artists I've spoken with, um, and certainly, like I said early on, I'm, I'm an artist like you all are listening, I'm sure. But for many, many years, I think artists have just been wedded to the craft of what they make. But yet we can think differently, we solve problems, we have these deeper assets like starting things from nothing naturally, we have all of these things that maybe get disregarded in that word. But that's what I think. And I think also the career part of it, since that's part of your podcast. Unavoidably. <laughs> <laughs> I think about um, the whole umbrella of just my life as, as a person, but also I, I can't help but think about and I don't know if anybody saw this, but Chris Rock had a stand-up comedy about, I don't know, about five or six years ago, or probably even more. And he, he said, there's a difference between a career and a job. A career is something that you don't, you lose sleep over. Like you don't, you feel like you don't have enough sleep. You have very little time. You want to do everything. And a job is where you're starting to look at your watch and you're, you're saying, oh my gosh, what time is it? Is it two minutes to five? I can get out of here. Do I have to wait till five to get out of here? So I, I do think that you know, I feel extremely privileged and recognize that privilege that 
having a career too is a privilege. And a lot of people don't recognize that craft and career come out of the privileges of, of what we have within ourselves to be yeah. shared. The obligations involved in that, um, the responsibilities taken on, that's a really good point. Um, so if we start down this craft path and, and, and going a little bit more specific into that, why don't we look at what keeps you coming back to it? So, so you mentioned it's the thing, it's the tangibility, but it's also the, the production, it's the creation. So those are obvious things that can keep you coming back to it, but what keeps you back coming back to it when it's difficult, when it's the practice part of the early hours, waking up to find the room for it, the late nights to get the project done on deadline? How do you, how do you keep, how do you manage that part of it? The, the, the craftiness that can kind of be, can, can become a, a, a regular check-in that's almost required to keep your, your own practice moving forward. I mean, it's going to sound really corny, but it's something within me that I think every single artist has that I think that visual vocabulary that I have in different forms is my truth. And it's the closest thing to living freely in my life. And it may sound really morbid and I don't want people to take it in a bad way, but it does feel like when I'm in my studio or in a zone where I feel that my creativity is at its highest, it's as close as being relieved or released from my own body. It is, it is something that is within me that I feel honored to share. And I do believe that artists are special in this way that we can communicate intangibly. And I do believe that artists are the foundation for um, freedom of speech that a lot of people don't even see that and turn to. But if you think about so many, if, if thinking about craft, for example, you think about so many ceramicists back in the day and indigenous ceramics where that their ceramics are, are a, a lot of them just generally speaking towards utility, but that's towards identity. Like a cup is from them that you're drinking out of that mirrors their identity. And it's just the thinking of it and the reverence towards it and also the uh, honoring of it, essentially. So what keeps me going also is every day is another day and we live a short life. And that sounds morbid too, but it's actually pretty straightforward and real. And I do think that after meeting so many artists and still today with the work I do for Creative Capital and certainly School of Visual Arts and absolutely Chautauqua, I feel, I feel so grateful to be in this community of people who live by those truths. Fantastic. I, that, if, if we could bottle that <laughs> and take a sip of it every day, <laughs> that's great. That's great. I'm also thinking too, about so you know this 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 builds into this question of what inspires you and and clearly that you're open to that and your practice must be open to that but anything specific right now whether it's things you're you're seeing things you're writing about things that you're viewing what kind of things are on, on your uh, you know on your periphery at the moment that can be examples of, of ways that you can stay inspired by what's out there outside of your practice you know i i mean part of my practice is doing these books and i've been dragging this third book like finally i'm going to have a manuscript cross fingers by june so i've been reading these essays by artists over 50 
And there's this one artist, I can't say who's in this book yet, but there's one artist who's going to be turning 97 and reading her story and just reading moments of other artists' paths. It goes towards the streams of history, the people that have come before us who have given us so much that we can live the way that we live today. And so I'm fascinated by those people, creative people and otherwise, people who've given us the opportunities to speak freely in many different ways. And then I read all different publications every day. Of course, I read Hyperlogic. I, I also zone out. Like right now I'm reading The People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, which is a powerful book from the 1980s. Um, but it's, it's a thick book that I'm reading now that reminds me of what this history really of the United States really is and was. So yeah, history is very important to me. And then also in the present, reading other people's stories. These questions are amazing. I feel very grateful. Thank you. Your, your answers are, are, are what's making the quality here. So thank <laughs> you. So you mentioned the, the book series and that gets me in mind of community practice and community practice can be, it can be stapled into your practice and studio and, and, and other people who are related to you know, projects that you have moving forward. But you're a great example throughout your career of finding other ways to engage, to cross discipline, to find broader community and, and, and invite others into community that might not have otherwise been invited. Can you tell us more about the establishment of that, particularly early or in your process, right? When, when you were just thinking about making that a part of the responsibility that you were taking on, how important is community and how can you make sure to facilitate that? Great question and thank you for those kind words. So I'm gonna go back to my MFA at Yale. So since we're all there in, in that classroom that I can see everybody, and then also I see Beth Lovell is here, who's just a wonderful person who I went to college with. I loved my time at Yale. It was extremely pivotal in my life, but I had zero money. I was in a huge amount of debt and I left with a ton of debt from being at Yale. But what was very, very important during that time were a, a, a few people that were very key in my life was David Pease, who was then the Dean, Francis Barth, who was, who was a faculty, certainly other faculty members who who gave me a lot of strength bob reed was just tremendous as a as a, a giving me empathy or thinking of what that is but but also the rigor of being there and i just remember not necessarily the times of making in the studio but the in-between times like this is going to sound really i don't even know if this bar is still there but like the gypsy bar we should go there at 2 a.m and because I'm, a, I'm, I'm naturally a night person, and thank God I'm married to a jazz musician, so we're on the same <laughs> schedule. But, but the, the conversations I have with people is what's kept me going. And the sense also, you can choose your family. Who, who are those people who are like-minded that give you energy to move things forward? that also move our community forward. And then the other thing I would say is that at that time, I was so wedded to one medium, which was painting, and identified by that. But then when I figured out that the medium serves the idea and not necessarily being defined by one thing, I feel trapped being defined by one thing. I love the fact that there are so many people, creative people who wear so many hats 
that it's like opening a closet and all of them come out at once and you're flooded by them and you don't know which one to choose in a day. How does that sound as an amazing privilege of living life? It is tremendous. And so taking advantage of that and understanding that all these media, the different media assist the idea, I then am not defined, hopefully. And I think that I just want to be defined by myself as a person. And I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to be defined by who they are in all different facets and assets of who they are. And so then choosing who your community is and being around those people, there's a chart that I actually showed probably the last time I was at Yale, but I, I can send it to everyone and it, it's a yeah, we, we can link to it it'd yeah. be great um it's a chart that actually is like cutting into a, a a tree where you have the center point is the strongest point and who do you choose to have in that center who do you choose to have in that next ring the next ring the next ring and then when i realize that i can make those choices as an individual that i don't have to fall to what the things are that are out there that feel like I have to do to be an artist. Whereas that's what I was taught is that there were limited ways to sustain a creative life or to just be, and there aren't. So once I opened those doors, I started learning from so many other people. And I have a lot of people in my life who aren't artists, but they're artists in their own ways. They're creative in their own ways and they intersect in society in very inspiring ways that keeps me going. Fantastic. That is, if we can all have that community um, and, and the instinct for that, right, right. And the instinct for that, I think is, is what's important. And, and this, the, the consistency that you've made, you know, the focus on rings, the, the actual visualization of what this process looks like. Um, thank you. Well, um, thanks. That's really my therapist. So, <laughs> She, I, I really believe in therapy and she like focused me on this awesome chart and I'll share that. It's really great yeah. for professionally. Perfect. We will drop that into um, the, uh, the notes, the, the show notes as well. Um, okay, so craft in some cases is the easier part to talk about and you've already crept in the direction of the, the, the bigger C, the career, um, uh, the heavier C, I suppose. Um, so let's talk more about you mentioned not being bound by one medium and also and being adventurous and open and community-based in terms of the kinds of partnerships that are available here. I'm also wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about both the kinds of jobs oh, yeah. and, and, I, and I, meaning that even the jobs, right? As you were saying before, the ones, the Chris Rock job, right? Like the kinds of supportive, flexible possibilities that have helped you sustain some of your, your, your process along the way, as well as the the multifaceted approach that's been necessary to sort of find the next gig, the next, you know, what, whatever happens to be. Could you tell us more about what that's looked like early on and then even moving to today? Well, um, thank you. It was really actually pretty painful. I just have to be honest because I had a tremendous amount of debt on my back. I ignored it in one hand and on the other hand, and this is a different generation. I'm 57. So back at, in the time of uh, the early 90s, you know, there were different laws that creditors were allowed to basically call me in the middle of the night screaming and staying on the phone with me for 20, 30 minutes. And I let that all seep into me. But I was smart enough to do one thing. 
as far as jobs. So I've had many different jobs. I made pizzas for Domino Pizza. Now I know how to do that. I shined shoes at one point for a short period of time at an airport. But the one thing I did that was smart is, I think, if I say so myself, is when I got out of school, I realized what do I, what, what do I don't have access to and I can't afford that a job can give me to get out of the job? So what I did was I took a job as a office manager in a lighting design company, small, and the job was perfect for me because I love filing. I love administration. I do. I mean, I love organizing. Oh my God, come to my studio, everybody. You see that everything you can lick off our floors. It's awesome, except when we're creating it. Everything's organized. That's in my DNA, though, coming from my father, my grandmother, my great grandfather is so that OCD, which I I'm very proud of actually, and know what is recognized is in there. So I thought, how can I take advantage of the things that I like to do? So I love that office manager position because I couldn't afford a computer and I use that computer to apply for things to get out of it. And that person who gave me that job is one of my very, very dearest, oldest friends who I've stayed in touch with who has amassed a huge amount of success himself and growing with him in a lot of ways. But I will share from listening to other people, the way that they have gotten positions when they've gotten out, like Jean Shin is my hero. She positioned herself in a place where she wanted to be in a certain community. She got out of Pratt from MFA, no money in New York City, first generation immigrant, her parents, from Korea, owned a restaurant in Maryland. I think they may have that restaurant still, but she uh, was wonderful in saying, I'm gonna get a job as like a curatorial assistant at the Whitney Museum. And she did, she put herself in that position to get to know that community. And some of her, her first exhibitions came in the form of museum exhibitions. You know, it's not surprising because she would put herself in that community of exchange and dialogue and plus her work was very sincere and her work is still extremely strong and i'm very proud of her in so many ways and that she's active part of my community but also in at part of chautauqua there are many people that have reached into their assets that have said okay what what do i love to do where do i want to position myself and just because you have a, do a job does it make you any less of an artist at all so so many artists have done things that are so many different hats. Artists have started museums. Artists have done so many things. And I think the art world sometimes doesn't want to look at that. Well, it's been there. And also they benefit from it. It's part of the reality of, of life. And I, I think it's great. Thank God I had that job. And that then I applied for a teaching job. But teaching jobs in the early in early years don't pay for that much. So I had to do a lot of different positions, but they were all things that I like to do. Like I, I also, I know I'm going on about this, just one more example. This is great, yeah. I love to organize people's homes and closets. So I just fell into that too. Like I just, and then the time would go by. And then while I was doing it, I was thinking about my work like oh i want this to go over here or this color is inspiring me here so i'm still thinking about still being an artist and thinking about all the things i've creative and then i would actually be energized by that job enough that i would want to go to my studio so i think choose things and choose communities 
that are supportive of you and give back to you and have culture reciprocity rather than putting yourself in a position where there are a lot of takers. Oh, I learned that the hard way. Great and extremely practical. <laughs> I like that. And the identification of what are those in, internal skills, what are the, the transfer, what are the things that strengths that you have and trying to find sources of support that provide you access you wouldn't otherwise have just with your practice alone. That's, that's fantastic. Now that you've, you know, advanced forward, you've you sort of landed in, in multiple channels. What does a daily engagement look like for you? And I know that probably looks like a thousand things, but maybe what's a, what's a, what are some telling examples of what a normal day looks like for you? First of all, lack of sleep immediately. So that's the first thing. The second thing is oh, because, as Chris Rock said, I never want to go to sleep ever because I, I thank God and I feel humbled and blessed that I love what I do. And I feel a tremendous amount of gratitude every day. And I try to lead out of gratitude, empathy, and compassion. Uh, as far as the positions I have, also just by being a catalyst, giving space to others and, and not being in a, a dictatorial space at all. So I wake up and my best friend, well, I have a best friend and my husband, and then I have Harag and I have very dear friends, but my computer best friend is my database. And so I wake up every morning and I look at that calendar and that is what tells me what to do in that day. So I look at that first and then I look at my emails and get through the fires. So I feel like I've exercised a lot as a fire person, a firewoman. And then once I put out all the fires, get back to the calendar, stick with that calendar. And that calendar is based on priorities and deadlines. And sometimes I'll go to the studio and sometimes I won't. This last week I had the flu, which I've never had the flu before. I never get sick. After five COVID tests, we surmised it was a flu and I couldn't go to the studio. I didn't want to leave to be subjected to that building or get anyone sick. So there's always days to pivot, just like we do in our studios. So how was I creative in the last week? Oh my God, I've been creative in my writing, in organizing, in talking to people, in listening, in writing letters, I'm a crazy letter person, in reflection, in, in so many different ways. And yet, and I'm thinking of my work all the time. And then I do this 15 minutes a day of research where in building my audience and, and, and still to this day, your audience is really important because it's your community. So by doing so, I remind myself who is out there, who I need to connect with, what are they doing? How can I be inspired by them and learning from them? I was in Los Angeles the week before and I went to Homeboy Industries, which was incredible. I went to their art academy. I went to artist studios. I always go to people who are generous to others because I can't waste my time otherwise. So yeah, day in the life is complicated, but it's also organized by things I've set up in advance so I don't have to worry about it or think about it. So putting something somewhere so I can be creative and not think about it or worry at all in the morning that I haven't covered my bases. Right. That I, I can I can I can feel that day. <laughs> and the lack of sleep is is a thing. That that is that is reality. So uh, we're going to uh, wrap up the first half of our session. We'll come back around. But before we shift over um, to the next phase, I wanted to give you a chance to tell us something about what's on your horizon. 
any kind of initiatives, engagements, things you wanted to, to, to let us know about that we ways that we can engage with, with you and your work or, or anything else you have going on? Well, first of all, I would say two people, we want two people from Yale University to be fellows at Chautauqua. Yale University has an amazing opportunity for two people to apprentice with our lead faculty. That means you're in every single nook and cranny of those lead faculty and being even a fly on the wall with them. It's, it's actually a very overwhelming, in, intense position. And then the other one is to be in our galleries this year, is to actually be an apprentice and actually participate in curating an exhibition. So, or taking over this one exhibition actually, and working on labeling and what that means and how to share, what does it mean to decolonize an exhibition and how do you share exhibitions through display of them in addition to the words that you show and how to deliver those messages. And so I'm very, very interested in that. And then you could talk to Derek about that. And then the, the thing I'm hyper about right now is Chautauqua because Chautauqua is an amazing opportunity for people to grow community and, and gain opportunities. I'll just share too that our first apprentice, Lakshmi, oh my gosh, I love her so much. She actually has a full-time job that came directly from Chautauqua. What I'm interested in is not only that artists have time to experiment, can just be, they don't have to make. Make, to me, being wedded to making, which is a physical activity, right? It can be. It can also be from a computer, which can also obviously be physical. But to me, that in a lot of ways, artists then are vehicles for something else. We can be, but we're also individuals, right? That can think and have ideas behind those things. And so even if you came and thought and just had that community with you, and it's a multi-generational program, and Lisa's been incredibly supportive in having people from Yale apply, and anyone who doesn't get in gets feedback into their work and sometimes into their applications. And I don't think any residency program does that. And talk about positioning yourself in a place to make change. That's where we as artists make the most impact is not only in a gallery. Think about what a gallery, what audience a gallery is for. A gallery is a white wall audience, right? Meaning that what I mean by that is, and I'm getting ahead of myself, is that galleries are usually white, made of white walls. They're cubes, right? Or rectangles or architecture that is very formalized. And they keep out a lot of people who are not familiar with that community. And to me, I always find that the art world gets smaller and smaller because of that. And they leave out 99% of artists in the world. And sure, we want that validation of being in the art world, but I don't know many people at all who sustain a creative life from just a gallery. I have four galleries. I've shown in many museums and been in, I feel very humbled to be in these collections. But what about the other 99% and sharing that privilege? So at Chautauqua, that's what we do. So we have professional development for seven weeks, but we also have this place where we've built community and there's all this information that's on the website. And it's really a place that is from empathy. And, and a lot of people sell their work there. They actually leave with so much more that they came in with. 
And that's what I'm hoping that the world actually can be more of. I, I Don't get me wrong. A lot of my friends are gallerists. I love them. And I think that also people who work in galleries, museums, they're essential. And it's hard. It's very difficult to be able to sustain those lives in the commercial aspect of the art world. But And also they can't satisfy 99% of artists all over the world. So what can we do as artists to be able to impact our own community and sustain our own lives without that dependence and having just the option of the art world as one of the partners? And that's how I live my life. I feel very grateful to, to have so many people that I can tap into. That's a rich life in my mind. This is beautiful energy and it's well appreciated. Um, this has been a fantastic start to our conversation. Thank you, Sharon, for such a sincere and energetic opening to our talk. I can't wait to have you back around for our second part and to include audience questions. Until then, don't be afraid to use the word career and always stay present.